What's going on, world? Peace and love. Appreciate you tuning in today. Definitely been a minute. Have a really dope episode in store today, so make sure you, you tune in. Make sure you check out my YouTube channel as well. The link will be in the description under here. So, the past couple of weeks have been very, very emotional. Um, there has been a lot of stuff that's happened and occurred in this country, um, from the coronavirus um, to you know states starting to open back up. To unfortunately, we've had uh, a lot of racially charged uh, incidents over the past several weeks, and so everything in, in combined has just been a big kind of emotional whirlwind. So, especially when we talk about these emotional and racial incidents, we look at the Ahmaud Arbery situation, or Christian Cooper, or now with George Floyd. Um, again, these anytime these type of situations happen, and there's some type of racial dynamic, it opens up that uncomfortable conversation that we have large racial disparities and inequities in this country, and especially when it comes to the black community. And especially with these three situations, it was like these three situations were very unique in terms they offered I, what I see almost as like the three horsemen of black oppression. And what I mean by that is that in the Maude Arbery situation, involved a black man being killed by a civilian white man. In this Christian Cooper situation, you had, which was basically a liberal white woman threatening to call the police on this black man. And in the George Floyd situation, you had an actual police officer killing a black man. So you you, you saw how it wasn't like these all weren't overt KKK white supremacists, um, but you saw the common variable was a black person having their constitutional rights violated and being discriminated in some capacity. So, obviously right now the big thing, the George Floyd situation, and all the protesting and rioting and all the various different aspects that came to that. But before I get to that, I want to at least touch on Ahmaud Arbery and Christian Cooper situation and how they have kind of set the stage for this outburst that we have here. So, the Ahmaud Arbery situation was very tragic, in which Ahmaud Arbery has been murdered by the Michaels family. Um, and in that situation, you know, it was very predictable in terms of the news and media coverage and how it goes you had a black man who is murdered and killed unarmed and of course the media does this thing like they always do is somehow some way bring up some type of negative aspect of a black man look into some type of criminal history or look into some type of narrative about them doing things to try to denote from their character and make it seem like well they weren't an innocent person and again in model Arby situation regardless of what happened Regardless, if he even did break into a construction site, nothing warranted him being murdered in cold blood. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting because the situation, I always find very hypocritical sometimes. So for myself, right, I look at stuff from a balanced perspective. So I have people from, like, the left and right and how I talk about it. And sometimes with some conservatives and stuff like that in the Maude Arbery situation, how they immediately deflect and try to, like, blame, you know, he, 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 he stole from a construction site, so therefore it's his fault he got murdered. Like, no, that's ridiculous because you guys, a couple weeks ago, were protesting, especially with the coronavirus stuff, right, that you felt your constitutional rights were being violated. And now Maude Arbery has constitutional rights violated, but suddenly there isn't a reason, an excuse for why that's okay or why it didn't happen. And it's about being consistent. And many of those people who call themselves conservatives are really... I feel more statist in, in, in terms of you claim to be conservative and 
claiming to be, you know, less government intervention and less, uh, you know, federal asset access to you, right? But then here you are defending without question essentially the police in this situation who is an extension of the government. So you really need to be consistent with the energy that you have for also what, you know, General you know Michael Flynn and how he's being prosecuted and you feel that his constitutional rights have been violated through Obama gate and all that stuff, right? Well, again, it's, it's the government and the bureaucracy and the law enforcement is the one that's doing him dirty. So you need to get that same energy for Ahmaud Arbery because, again, someone with constitutional rights being taken away. So for you all to be against that, are you truly conservative or are you more a status in that aspect, right? With that being said, you saw it, it, it showcased a lot of people. For me, it was kind of like a metric test. Uh, I was calling it a litmus test, excuse me, better better yet, of who's sort of culture, who's not. Um, I definitely won't tip my hat. There's definitely a lot of some black conservatives out here who I thought were like just come some um, just delusional right-wing Trumpers who definitely showed their black card on this, who stood up and has consistently stood up against this uh, atrocities and called it murder. And you know, I respect for y'all. Tip my hat. Shout out to y'all. Um, and, you know. At the same time, there's been people like Candace Owens and, and, and Brandon Tatum and those people like that who, you know, jump ship and immediately start capping and, 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 and blame why Amal Marbury, why it's his problem he got killed and defending McMichaels without information and data. And it's interesting that, you know, those people are grifters, uh, meaning that they are dependent on adhering to certain conservative white supremacist rhetoric to keep their livelihood because that's how they made their whole um, basically financial aspect and their whole brand is built on that so they can't speak out against it because they'll lose their money and lose their entire audience and it was very apparent about who can speak freely who can't speak freely and so uh for people capping and immediately you know just automatically leaving Maud Albury in a situation and stuff you, you show you showed your hand um and you showed that you know mass ain't gonna let you speak now you better better, better tone that back <laughs> so you know that was very interesting you know we talk about that aspect. So I think that Ahmad Arbery situation kind of just, you know, it lit, it lit a, a, a dry match. Um, and, you know, that led to the Christian Cooper situation and with Amy Cooper and how, you know, Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper were both in a park and how, you know, Amy Cooper had her dog not on a leash and, you know, Christian Cooper has asked her, hey, can you put the dog on a leash? And that led to her escalating the situation and, and, and telling them, you know, I'm going to call the police and tell them you're African-American and calling them and try to exaggerate the whole entire situation, right? And from that whole situation as well, that, that arose so much reaction and, 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 and outpour and outrage, right? And basically the situation was shocking for a lot of people because, you know, Christian Cooper um, does not fit the profile, I guess, if you will, of a black person that would be profiled, even though we're black, we're all susceptible to that. And I think also it, it really, it showcased a lot of, Underlying issues in this country that's not talked about. So for stars or Christian Cooper, um, the way they portrayed him, you know, it's like you know, he's educated, Harvard educated, he's well spoken, articulate, he's a bird watcher, he writes for Marvel, you know, he's a very docile person, he would harm or fly, and you know, because I think for a lot of <laughs> liberals and a lot, you know, me, me, people in this country, I mean, conservatives as well, there's this notion that when black people get killed or black people get profiled, it's you know, it's because, you know, we were wearing a hoodie or, you know, the pants were sagging or, you know, they had tattoos on their face. You know, you know, they were, they were a threat. They were a super predator. And, and, and you think that's why that happened. So the Christian Cooper for them was so shocking because, well, he's one of the good ones. How could it happen to him? 
And and that was the thing that threw them off. But it, they don't understand itself. It's still like kind of liberal racism and a backhanded compliment. Because, again, it's starting to downplay his looks as if you need to look a certain way um, to be attacked. And it's almost that same naiveness that people have when we talk about sexual assault sometimes. Where, you know, we we think, well, a woman was wearing something, so and that's why she deserved it or something like that. Like, no, it doesn't matter if a woman's wearing, you know, you know a b- bikini or... Or wearing, you know, an outfit from, you know, for her head to her toes. People are still horrible and sick out here and can do horrible things. So it's kind of like that again with this situation, too. It's like it doesn't matter if I'm dressed in a shirt and tie or I'm dressed in a velour sweatsuit. Um, as a black man, I still get looked at the same. With that being said as well, Amy Cooper, again, she wasn't some overt Trumper. That's a, like a right-wing conservative Republican. Um, no, she's a liberal white woman. That's probably a Hillary Clinton supporter. And one of the biggest reasons I, I knew that was she said, I'm going to tell him you're African-American. <laughs> that term, that was a very polite, social justice, politically correct term. And uh, most, like, you know, kind of right-wing conservative people, they're calling black. <laughs> like, they're not going to be all polite about this. They're going, you're, you're a black man. They're calling an N-word. But they're not going to call him African-American. So that's how rip I knew, oh, this is a liberal white woman, which also shows as well that racism has no political party and that you don't have to be, again, an overt, you know, uh, you know, uh, racist or overt, you know, uh, out right wing person to, to, be, to be racist. Again, this is um, very telling because, you know, she's a Karen is what the term and stuff we're, we're, we're talking about now. Right. And Karen's have been around for a long time in this country in terms of being um, right there as an extension of white supremacy and upholding that system. Um, again, white women especially um, in this country, you know, we forget that in the, in the 20s and stuff, you know, white women had their own chapter at KKK. Uh, they were enthusiastic participants in this white supremacy and racism. And in fact, they're even better um, at, at, at hiding and masking their uh, xenophobic and racist ways as well. So, Again, I think it's very, you know, naive to think that, you know, again, that, you know, racism, white supremacy is only done by white men and stuff like that. It's like, nah, like white women have been right there as well. I remember Carolyn Bryant, you know, lied on Emmett Till and got him killed and murdered. Um, again, because it's, they used their white privilege and power. And in these instances like this, what happened, I really feel like they, they're just using the privilege to make their voice heard. Because oftentimes they do feel maybe oppressed by the white man. So when they have some power, they're like, well, I'm going to put it to use. Again, I don't think all that I don't think all white women are bad or evil or anything like that, um, or anything ridiculous like that. But I do think it is very naive to think that just because some people vote a certain way or have certain political ideologies that they can't be hateful or they can't in a second of rage turn to that same person. So that's something that's very apparent as well. And it gets me to this George Floyd situation. Now now we have, you know, a, a black man Literally begging for his life, saying, I can't breathe, you know, muttering, uttering the same words that, you know, that Eric Gardner, you know, uttered before he was murdered. And, you know, and, and, and the knee on his neck, and everybody wound seeing this man is dying and passing out and, you know, eventually murdered. And I think this, this situation, I think, was even more, I think it was even more dramatic and, and disappointing because, you know, with the shootings, it's rare that we actually saw the shootings. We saw the aftermath of the shootings. We might saw pictures of shootings. Uh, I know in the Michael Scott situation, there was an actual 
video. But in this situation, you know, it was it was different because again, it's like it's in slow motion. And I think that's the thing about it. Like when you see someone literally dying in front of you, and everybody sees it, and it's like nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it's very traumatic and that's very um, disheartening. And again, it's it, it hits a pulse because especially we just had a Maude Albury situation, a Christian Cooper situation. Again, we have these, you know, white on black, you know, racial dis- injustices. And again, now we have a police officer who should be the person that all those cases adheres most to ethic standards and in in law and order, right? So, George Floyd's situation really was the popping of the bubble, right? And once that that viral video, um, you know, made its wave across the internet, you know, immediately there was outrage and and, and protest, uh, especially in Minneapolis and Minnesota. Um, large amount of protest stuff, outbursts, and now we're seeing nationally around the, the world um, and country um, that people are protesting, right, in different various cities and stuff like that. And we see now how it's turning into violent and looting and all those endeavors. So before I get to those, right, I'm going to talk about the impact about this black trauma that a lot of people don't see. So one thing I like in this situation, the Maude Aubrey, Christian Cooper, and George Floyd situation, there's been a large viral sharing of this black trauma. And although I think it's very important to always raise awareness and keep these things in mind, a lot of people don't realize, especially George Floyd's like image of him being choked out and murdered. Um, when black trauma um, is constantly and black death is, is shared constantly, it creates a PTSD uh, for many people. And because, again, it's just psychological because black people have gone through so much and various different oppressions and stuff, it creates such a negative aspect. A true actual PTSD syndrome kicks in. So constantly showing those viral videos and stuff and everything like that isn't actually, I know you're trying to bring awareness, but you're actually just causing a lot of people more pain and stuff like that. So we need to keep that in mind. We keep doing it because what's the end goal? Because a lot of people, I feel like I've seen a lot of outpour, especially among some black men and stuff who feel very defeated who feel very downtrodden. And, you know, it's at a point where some people are are, are, are begging for our, our life in a sense, right? And part of the issue I have with that is that we have to see value and worth for our own selves because we have to stop basing our worth off of the, what other people think about us. And especially situation where black men, you know, I saw the Amy Cooper situation, people were saying, oh, as a black man, I'm scared to go outside, or white women, they may call the police on me and things, and, you know, in in the Ahmaud Arby situation, as a black man, I can't go jogging and stuff, and I'm scared to go jogging, and George Floyd situation, and, you know, this could be me, and it's like, look, for myself, right, I, as a black man, I uh, absolutely am very cognizant and aware of the racial disparities and various types of white supremacy and racism and obstacles and barriers I have to go through. At the same time, I am not fearful of anybody. I am not scared of anybody. And it will be a very cold day in hell before you ever catch me out here um, complaining and begging for white acceptance and white validation. Because that's what it comes down to for a lot of people. And that's the uncomfortable conversation I have. You see that video of that young man who's like out there singing, like singing, like saying, well, I'm black, you should like me. And another video of that, of, of, of that black man who was talking very slow and very specific and trying to show people that I'm not... I'm not violent, I'm a black man, I am I am innocent. Again, it's pleading to white people to like you. Let's call what it is. And I think a lot of people in these situations, even with the protests and stuff like that, right? A lot of it is like, are you marching for black lives? Or you march for white acceptance and validation? Because 
when I say white acceptance and white validation, a lot of people psychologically, and it really is due to slavery and white supremacy and racism in this country, right? Through all the negative downtrodden events that black people have gone through in this country, whether it's from slavery to Jim Crow to civil rights to, you know, all the different, uh, you know, the L.A. riots and the Black Lives Matters movement from years ago and all those aspects, right? Black people have, have, have gone through a lot of negative stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of times, this has been at the hands of white people. I think it's the fact that we look at the just, you know, uh, income equality in this country and how, you know, black people want to pour us the least educated group in this country. Right. And again, with all those different negative aspects, some black people have grown grown to be inferior to white people. Because that's part of racism. White, white racism is part of a, a superiority complex, and especially white supremacy and especially through imagery and various different components. So some black people naturally fear white people and some black people are think they're lesser to white people and white people are superior and we're subservient to white people. And because of that, right, we have this constant battle of trying to prove ourselves to them as the white people are the the metric and the litmus test for success or some type of equivalency. And that's what a lot of times these things are about is like begging and pleading for them to accept us. And it's very low vibrational. I understand the need for the want to feel equal, but at the same time, it's psychological because you guys are creating the metric. And one of the reasons why I say what acceptance and validation, look at every, like several years ago, right, right? Several years ago with the Oscars and how there are, you know, low to no like black people nominated for any Oscars, right? And the hashtag Oscar So White came out, right? And all these shows like the Grammy, and when you have your Macklemore, you know, winning Grammy over Kendrick Lamar, and you had these different shows, and people, you know, are saying, you know, why can't we have black people representation there? And it's like, well, why is it the Oscars and the Grammys, why is that so important to us? Why is it that we need white people to have to okay us for the validation? I understand that those things, right, those, like, Grammys and Oscars, for example, like, those type of shows, right, are, are, are large in the entertainment world, right, are almost, like, the, the top tier of accomplishments. I get it, right? But at the same time, it's like, for black people, though, why why don't we create our own? Like, why is it? Why does a Soul Train award not hit the same as a Oscar or, or or a BET award hit the same as a, a Grammy, something like that, right? Because in the, the day, we don't we don't view our own, um, we don't like view our own like accomplishments as the same. Like we don't view like a black people saying we did a good job. We don't view that the same as a white person we did a good job. Because for some people, like the white person saying you did a good job means a lot more. It's like, oh, I'm okay now. I made it to their success. I made it to their their metric. They, I, I am now equal to them in some capacity. And again, this is a lot of psychologically and subconsciously what that happens. But again, that's what like every year is, is, is constant white acceptance, white validation and on a daily basis. And, you know, as I transitioned with that, I, I saw that even more with these protests and how especially this whole thing with people speaking out. Right. And a lot of people were saying, you know, we're critical of white people saying, oh, well, white people were you, you, you need to speak out in this instant of this injustice. If you don't speak out. You're complicit with it. Or, or or white celebrities and stuff like that, and you know, and, and pressing them. Have you spoken out yet? Have they said anything yet? And you know, and and all of these needing someone else to talk about it. And again, love is white validation and acceptance. Because first of all, why do you? Why do their opinion matter so much to you? Why? why what? What does their opinion carry more weight than the opinion of me or someone else or your uncle Ray Ray or Aunt Chichi? Like, I don't understand why that white person's opinion has to be so much more important. I understand, right, it's very important for, you know, special racial stuff in this country for, you know, when, when it's white versus black situations, for white people to be aware of these things. I'm here for that. I'm all here for, 
you know, educating and, and, and making sure that they're alert to these incidents and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm here for, you know, making sure they don't sweep it under the rug because it's something needs to be talked about, right? But at the same time, I personally don't even want to hear, like, black, like, athletes and celebrities, entertainers position on these things on political issues. So I definitely don't care or need to hear a white person's opinion on it. That's not to negate it. In the same time, that's not to negate to the white people who are trying to be uh, outspoken and vocal on these issues and who are trying to, you know, spread awareness and everything on that. You know, salute to y'all. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, I'm also not about to go out my way and pat you on the back for not being racist. Because that's, really, that's how low the metrics come now, that, you know, we've, we've gone away where we start celebrating people for just being basic human beings. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that place either. Um so again, like this whole, that constant needing them to talk and speak on it. And it's like, bro, that's kind of why acceptance, like, why do you, why do y'all need them to speak on this stuff so much, so badly? I, I don't understand this. I, I get why for some celebrities and stuff like that, especially white, you know, entertainers, celebrities who have seen have appropriated something about black culture before or something like that. I can understand why y'all like, you know, you know, if you can, you know, take our culture now, you know, speak on our issues and troubles. Yeah. But at the same time, it gets to a point where like, if someone's not educated on something, do we, like, why speak just to speak? <laughs> like, I saw, like, you see, like, all these black celebrities, stuff like that, entertainers who are taking L's right now for speaking on these situations and having some pretty bad takes. You saw, like, Desi Banks, who posted that, you know, the photo of, you know, this is a protest, of, you know, Martin Luther King and them showing the riots. This is not a protest. And again, it's, it's that first of all, it's a white supremacist rhetoric. <laughs> um, but again, he's uneducated on the situation. But my whole thing is like, bro, this is why I don't, why don't I hear from these people? I don't care. This is exactly why. Seeing what Lil Wayne said, but exactly why I don't care. I don't want to hear what they got to say. I, it, it's why the black community, we, one of the biggest issues in black communities is that we don't have real leaders. This is why we need true, actual black leaders and in, in politicians. Instead, we have these athletes rappers and musicians we have you know ti and you have diddy and you got cardi b or lebron speaking out but to be honest man you don't have any actual politicians people with power and influence that can put together legislation and policy to try to you know mend some of these wounds we have but that's our issue and again malcolm x spoke on this before again how you know you've never seen the white community you know a, 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 a athlete or a drummer or a comedian or Something like that being their community leaders? No, you never have that happen. But only in our community, in which those people somehow, some way, are supposed to carry that metric. And it's like, no, it shouldn't. <laughs> like, oh, we should have our elected officials and people who have more, you know, in depth research and knowledge on these incidents speak on that as well. So, again, it goes to that whole component of, of the black community and why we get kind of um, sidetracked in this because we don't have direction. Even, you know, you see with these protests and stuff right now, how it's turned to riots and looting. And. Again, I think it's very important to understand that, yeah, most people who are doing this, you know, looting and you know, rioting and starting violence are, are outsiders. Oftentimes, there are these Antifa, which is a domestic terrorist um, left radical group. I'm call it what it is. And Antifa's not for a culture. And they have gone to a lot of communities when there's been people protest, and they come in and start being violent, and they change the whole percent, uh, perception of it. Oftentimes, as well, people are paid protesters who come in from outside of cities who blend in with the good ones and try to be vital and mess everything up. Um, you see, especially with like buildings burning down in Minneapolis and everything like that. Uh, I'll be honest, um, I'm calling cap because the average person can't even start a, their own like like campfire. <laughs> Yet somehow, some way, these people 
are building down like these large like hundred thousand foot square buildings that are like steel beams and all this type of stuff and 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 bricks and mortar and all that it's like okay no that's not happening let's realistic no this is arson this is like strategic and plan and in these situations as well again all across you know the city and country we're seeing the 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 dividing rioting and violent aspect again it's, it's are these leftist white people that are coming in and messing all that up so again like you understand our I think it's hijacked before we get hated on by the right and the left comes in and takes advantage of it and use it for their own advantage. So yeah, like, you know, that situation is really is very complex. We got to see past that. A lot of people are opportunists. Again, a lot of this isn't even about George Floyd anymore. It's a lot of people who I feel like who are just honestly just who've been locked up at home for the past couple of months with this pandemic and stuff, who got a lot of steam, a lot of stuff to blow off. And this is a, a opportunity for them to get out the house and just, fuck shit up excuse my french that's the best way to say it <laughs> uh and that's really what's happening so they're going nuts with that so i also think it's very important to point out some political facts about this situation and i think there's been a lot of re- revisionist history so for our starters in a situation right how all come full circle with politics and election and generally speaking right if you remember last election in 2016, going to that fall, we had a huge like racial dynamic with the whole Black Lives Matters movement and all that tension and stuff, you know, between people who are pro police and people who are pro Black Lives Matters and all that whole aspect was going down. And here we are again, election season coming up again with kind of the same thing. So those issues again to me is kind of like clockwork. Like it seems to happen just over again. In this situation as well, especially in Minnesota with George Floyd, it's very interesting because I have someone like Joe Biden, right, who. If you ain't black, you don't vote Joe Biden. <laughs> um, who was vetting for VP. Of course, he ignored all black women, you know, as you know, the, the bigger VP and vetting Amy Kobachar. And it's very interesting because she's done. Because Amy Kobachar, when she, first of all, if people are not familiar with her campaign, she used to be a chief prosecutor in Minnesota. And her campaign if it, itself got suspended because she started getting uh, protested by Black Lives Matters and also called suspended by the NLACP. When she was prosecuted in Minnesota, she put a, a black man away for life in jail and kind of bragged about the situation. And a lot more evidence came out years later that uh, he was innocent, in fact, and that, in fact, she might actually suppress evidence. So, yeah, she had a lot of, you know, a bad racial dynamic. And then with this situation as well, uh, the officer that actually killed George Floyd, uh, he hasn't been involved before in, in actual killing someone and shooting another person while on duty as officer. And Amy Kobachar, when she's chief prosecutor in Minnesota, uh, there's over dozens of officers that were involved in uh, citizen uh, citizen death, right? When officers killed people in some capacity. And again, she always chose not to prosecute these people. And in fact, the officer that killed George Floyd, um, in fact, Derek Shelvin, he was actually one of the officers <laughs> uh, that Amy Kobachar had declined to press charges or pursue any criminal case against in both the instances when he killed someone and also shot another person as well. So Amy Kobachar, you you can't, you're done. Because literally like George Floyd, like death can, can be on your hands because you declined to keep this officer off the streets. And he went back on the streets and killed again. So for you to be trying to run as some type of V vice president pick, I mean, gosh, you're at a horrible standing with the black community as it was before this. And on top of this now, like well, that's over. So it's very interesting again with her. So people were, 
you know, she'll speak out against this and injustice and, you know, he's been arrested and, you know, hopefully just be served. It's like, oh, sweetheart, you had an opportunity to do something about this now. Let's not be, you know, act like that didn't happen. Revisions history. So let's bring to the next part. And that is with President Obama. And you may ask, well, how does President Obama fit in this? Well, Joe Biden is running for president and Joe Biden was involved in his administration. So I think it's fair as we look at Joe Biden as a candidate to look at his administration he was involved with. And that happened to be the Obama administration. And more important specifically, looking at how he handled these situations and these police shootings and a black death, right? So I understand for the black community sometimes we have a very um, romanticized history with President Obama, again, the first black president, you know, the door, a lot of stuff, got all that. At the same time, I'm very candid and open for being transparent of leadership. And over the past, like, you know, like, you know, six, seven years, when during that time when the Black Lives Matters movement, you know, started from Trayvon Martin to Mike Brown and all, you know, of course, across that time, uh, the Obama administration was not this, like, pro black revolutionary uh, push. They're oftentimes very cavalier in how they handle situations as well. So for myself, I'm I'm about results. Okay, I'm not about semantics. I'm not about symbolism. So the Trevor Martin situation happened, right? Very tragic. I know President Obama had, you know, had a press conference because a lot of racial tension and stuff going on in the country, and he spoke about how you know you know Trevor Martin could be me. If I had a son, he could be Trevor Martin. All that aspect, right? And it sounded cool. It sounded nice that he cared. And I say he didn't care, but at the same time, nah, energy was not consistent because. When charges were not filed against George Zimmerman, uh, Obama declined to have the Department of Justice pursue this as a hate crime, despite the fact that Trayvon Martin's family like, pleaded with him to do it. He just said, oh, I'm staying out of that. Okay. Or the Mike Brown situation, um, Obama defended his Department of Justice for not pursuing charges with Darren Wilson. He defended Darren Wilson as well. Um, or the Eric Gardner situation, um, Obama didn't speak on that, nor visited the area that happened, or nor he did visit it. Weird Tamir Rice situation happened. A young man, 12 years old, was killed. So, again, you know, it wasn't like he was around for these instances. I remember, in fact, during the Freddie Gray um, protest in Baltimore, he called young black men protesting white supremacy thugs, which is a term, of course, that was used later on, years later, by his predecessor. So, again, it's like, yo, there's not some pro-black, was not in the good times, and Obama was here for black people. Like, no, we had a whole freaking epidemic of black people dying with the black president. I'm not saying that's his fault that happened, but I am going to not be naive. At the same time, why he called black people thugs, he also did militarize the police and give them a lot of military-grade weaponry and armor, in which we are kind of seeing now. That's happened on the Obama administration. I'm not going to cap on that. So, again, I'm just like, some people point out, like, oh, Miss Obama. And I'm like, bro, well, his administration was horrible on these police shootings of black people. <laughs> I don't know what what are y'all missing about that. Because ain't nothing happened. Ain't nothing was different in those times. And I was very disappointed, honestly. I really wish that he would have used some more executive authority and, and, and power and influence and actually have done something about these situations because there's an opportunity to do something. And it didn't happen. So this whole like unwavering support people have for Joe Biden and stuff like that was like, well, Joe Biden was part of an administration that didn't do stuff about this whole Black Lives Matters movement and stuff. Um, again, a lot of symbolic gestures and things, but the actions did not 
add up. It was not reciprocal. This was not good. No, he defended Department of Justice many times when he did not ever hold these people accountable for their actions. And that's what matters. Yeah, I know I get a little emotional. Because, you know, I care about for black people and our best for us. And I think we need to be always cognitive about the past and what in which precedents were set as we move forward. So, again, you know, that's not an indictment on President Obama. That was always fault. But I'm going to call out the lack of action that occurred, especially with these police shootings. And seeing that he was a black man, yeah, I'm going to hold you kind of accountable higher too than the Trump who is a old, potentially racist white supremacist white man. So, you know, I don't see it as the same thing. I'm just going to hold you to a higher standard. With that being said, again, let's see what happens moving forward about who handles these situations and what goes about it. Because... At the end of the day, for black people moving forward, the biggest part of this is, is the boycotting piece. We can protest all we want, right? But if we're not going to use our economic power, um, then nothing's going to change. That's reality. Look, we I feel like we have Mandela effect sometimes with this. Like we just did this five, four or five years ago. I don't remember the whole, you know, police kills black person, celebrities speak out about it, we protest, protest leads to rioting and looting, officer gets acquitted or gets off, we angry, protest some more. Nothing happens, rinse, repeat. And at some point, it's like, yo, are we going to talk about, you know what I mean, the legislation and policy that we can come up with? So when these incidents or something happens, there's some independent special counsel or something with, you know, grand jury records and stuff like that are, are released or we have some more, you know, there's more actual consequences, <laughs> to be honest. That's the best way of saying it. And while we have these black politicians and stuff, we need to, Hold them accountable. Again, part of the low-key subservient aspect, what I was saying, for black people and this white acceptance, it's like, look, you got to understand right now, it's like, the way sometimes we make, we, we as black people, I think we give up too much power and influence sometimes. Um, you know, we saw weeks ago, right, you saw uh, when the COVID was going on and you know people were protesting, uh, you know, these, you know, uh, Americans protesting our, our constitutional rights, right? How you, you can't keep us out of places. And people were protesting at Congress and then down at, you know, Capitol Hill, down, uh, you know, the Capitol of the various different states. And people had, you know, armed guns and stuff and everything. And people were the instant because a lot of white people. And, you know, people made a post. You know, see, they can do this, but we can't. And it's like, nah. Y'all didn't peep it. Like, just like, you know, a couple weeks later, the Mount Arbery situation, there was armed Second Amendment um, lawful black American citizens who were going through a modern already neighborhood with loaded guns and weapons and they weren't arrested and were taken away. They, we, we could do it. They protested peacefully. Um, same thing as well. Um, just like last week, um, a group of black men in Michigan, they spoke, um, you know, on the Capitol, um, at the Capitol there, like on the steps with armed weapons and guns, stuff like that, just like those white people did. So again, we gotta stop like automatically taking our power away. We 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 get to, to such a subservient mindset that we think, well, we can't do it, but they they could do it. We tried it, we couldn't do it. No, no, no. We are American citizens just like them. I get it. There are definitely obstacles and barriers and discrepancies, but we take away so much power and influence that we have. That we forget we have the same constitutional rights as them. We just always we automatically just give ourselves an excuse why it won't work. But no, we can't do that. So stop the whole sharing these photos of of trying to make it seem like they can do it. We can't. No, we can. Oh, we can now. It's just the fact you gotta stop being scared now. You gotta stop being just very uh, subservient. So again, I'm not calling for any violence. I'm not calling for any race war or guns to be used or any type of thing at all. Never, never that. Okay. Um, I I do like I like chaos, but I think organized chaos is the way to go. 
all these protest stuff right now is unorganized, to be honest. And that's why nothing's going to come out of it. I'm going to call it what it is. It's an emotional high. People will feel symbolically did something good, which is cool. I guess protesting is a very important component of, of you know chasing freedom. But again, in term, until we use the economic aspect, look, the black community got $1 trillion annual spending power. 98% of it spent outside the community. Um, hold hold your money. Look, you, we can loot Target and Walmart all we want, but these are large corporate conglomerates. I'm sure to have insurance in place. So... You know, if you want them to lose money, you got to boycott them because there's no insurance for boycotting. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's something you got to keep in mind as well. You really want change to happen. So in these situations, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of different components that range around it. But I think we need to be more united as a front, especially within the black community as well. Look, we have the we have sometimes a very low barrier entry into the black community of what it takes to get a pat in the back or be invited to the cookout. We got to stop that. The black community has no allies. I believe in situational coalition building. Um, absolutely. But I think we just unilaterally, blindly have allies and support. That's that's not true. Everyone has some type of uh, motivation. Whether it's eccentric or eccentric. But they all have some motivation of why they're out here. So, you know, again, just be conscious of these events and what's happening. And Tifa is not our friends. Okay, I think they're no different than KKK, in my opinion. So, they both can be negative to the black community as a whole. So, all this whole situation, man, keep your emotions in check. It's very, very easy to have your emotions manipulated and just be an outrage and just always be up and down and not knowing how to feel and in a constant state of fear and a constant state of uneasiness. But you have to be above the situation and be in emotional control. Um, again, stop seeking validation from other people. Your life matters and you don't need anyone to ever tell you that. You don't need anyone else to okay and tell you that's going to happen. Um, I also don't understand sometimes the white privilege and explaining it because I don't, I don't know what y'all think is going to happen. I think any single person you explain to them, Hey, you have privilege and things about it. And you're like, Oh, okay. I want you to stop that privilege. Oh, Oh, okay, well, do I get some for stopping it? No. Oh. Well, do I have incentive for stopping privilege? No, because I said so. Oh. Oh, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what happens. how this, this goes. I know it sounds very comedic to put it at level, but that's essentially when you're begging and pleading uh, the same people you claim oppress you to somehow, some way, at the same time, give up some type of privilege it it's not gonna work, so I don't know what that the whole point's about. So you know, again, that's my personal view on those things as well. Again, this is no indictment on white people at all. I don't think all white people are bad. I think that there are people who are good people who want to help and want to uh, bring awareness and, and bring more unity and, and have more solidarity as Americans in this country. And we salute people like y'all for real. Shout out to y'all. Okay, same time, I'm just not gonna pass out words out or medals out for being a decent person either <laughs> so you know uh, that's all i think it's these again these, these issues are always very racially driven and, and and very slippery slope and can be very um triggering and emotional for people so i think it's always good to keep a balanced mind a balanced perspective and it's no we're gonna get through this go outside man go hiking go walking um breathe in air um, turn the news off, man. Turn on social media and stuff like that. Read a book. Be around your family. Be around loved ones. Do something positive. Do something that makes you happy. 
too many people are missing that part nowadays. It's so easy to get drawn to the negative and get just emotionally lambasted and just uh, I'm feeling just downtrodden and victimized and oppressed and all that aspect. Don't give into it. You have power. You have control of your life. Don't give to other people. That's the most important thing. Be in control of your life. Be in control of your emotions. Be in control of your actions. And that is the way how we progress and move through this as a society, as a culture, and as a community. With that being said, I appreciate you tuning in today. This is definitely a topic I talk about in the podcast. A lot more uh, I need to be talking about than just on a YouTube video. But please make sure you check out my YouTube channel again as well. I will have it in the link on here as well. So make sure you check it out. Um, again, till next time, make sure you stay very safe out here. Look, COVID's not done. I know I know the media's really moved past this real quickly. It's an interesting as well, but it, it's it's not over yet. So be be careful about uh, who you're around and you're, who you're being with because, again, we there's going to be a second wave. It is coming. So just be cognizant of that stuff here, man. Um, I hope everyone's safe out there. Please, crazy times right now. You know, stay inside. Don't put yourself in jeopardy. For black people especially, please do not put yourself in situations where you're susceptible to being arrested and or um, potentially killed. Um, so, yeah, I want y'all to be safe. I'm best for everybody. Everyone protesting out there. Be safe, man. And, uh, again, thank you for tuning in today. You may not agree with everything I had to say, and that's fine. That's perfectly okay. But hopefully you walked away at least learning something. So, t- until next time, make sure you stay tuned, you stay hip, you stay connected.